You are now listening to Borderless Workplace, brought to you by Slassify. A conversation surrounding remote working, global workforce, and the future trends of working from anywhere. Slassify is a global payroll provider and employer record that help businesses take care of their employment compliance needs, anywhere on earth. Hi Alan, welcome and thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you with us here and share some of your expertise and price perspective that you have on the headhunting industry. Cool. I personally following you for a while on LinkedIn and you've always provided available insight on the job market landscape, not only in Taiwan, but also the greater China region, which also includes uh, Hong Kong, Macau and mainland China. So let's start off this podcast with an introduction of yourself and to give our listener a better idea of your role at the company that you're currently representing, maybe adding a one-liner description of your responsibility would be awesome too. Okay, sure. Thanks for the invite, Agnes. So uh, my name's Al McIver. I'm originally from Scotland, although I've been in Asia for about 14 years, most of the time in Taiwan, although I lived in Shanghai for two years as well. I work for a company called Paul Wright Group, which is an executive search recruitment company. And basically what we do is we help clients find candidates mostly in Taiwan. And I focus on specifically sales and marketing jobs, usually quite senior level. Could you please give us a little bit more introduction about Paul Wright and how the company is helping or powering businesses to grow? Yeah, sure. So Paul Wright is a newer headhunting company. It's It was founded a few years ago by other very senior level headhunters. And since that time, we've managed to attract quite a lot of senior headhunters into our company. So it's a newer boutique firm. We don't have too much of a presence overseas. We've got a few people in Japan, China, the States. Um, so our biggest office is Taipei. Cool. And the way that we add value, I mean, I think it's it's down to experience, right? The very experienced headhunters usually know the market very well and, and they can help not just with recruitment, but also with some market advice or some more strategic decision-making. I definitely see my job as part recruitment, but also part consultant. I try and help my clients as much as I can. I didn't know that Paul Wright is actually has the biggest office in Taipei. Anyway, uh, I'm very excited to have this opportunity to exchange some thoughts and insight about the HR trends with a senior um, from the industry like you. Uh, I believe you have a little over a decade of experience in headhunting and HR industry in general. Yeah. So just to give you a little context, uh, I'm a Gen Z myself. So I started enter the workforce back in 2019. And not so long after that COVID hits and, you know, remote working start being introduced, but it was not a very challenging transition for me personally. And my team back then also transitioned pretty smoothly into the, what I like to call a cloud workspace, but I'm sure over the years and with your, uh, over a decade experience, seeing the whole, um, um, HR trends and also landscape. Uh, especially with the the current or the recent um, event, um, you have completely, you probably have a different perspective than what I shared uh, earlier. So how do you see the role of human resources change in the context of remote working? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, COVID has forced the issue. There were always companies like mostly internet-based companies 
who were a bit ahead of the curve with that regard. So everything was digitized and they were already used to a hybrid or work from home model. A lot of them had a mixed mix office schedule, but then COVID forced the issue where everyone had to work remotely. So I think like you mentioned for Generation Z, it was a bit easier because they're so digitized anyway, and very familiar with, with modern apps like Zoom and Teams and, and messaging apps and these types of things and, you know, um, d different ways of communicating within the office that were already online. I think the, the more traditional companies have struggled more because that workforce wasn't ready for it, basically. Um, HR have had a very difficult job because recruiting without meeting face-to-face -face is still very difficult. I know that a lot of companies have moved most interviews to online and digital, but not all. So it's still very rare for a candidate to get an offer without meeting the team face-to-face, -face, although a lot more of the recruitment process will be handled online. Um, I mean, when you're working in an office and HR, and they won't like me saying this, but they're a little bit like the internal police force because HR are often the ones that, that come out with, with new office policies. They deal with the, with the humans in the company. So any cracking down or any disciplinary measures usually come from HR. And if your team are not in the office at all, then it changes the job dramatically it makes it very very difficult to police who is behaving and who's not so for example if if you work in an office and there's a member of staff who takes really long lunch breaks it's usually frowned upon and then noticed and then the hr would have them organize a meeting with that person and tell them hey, a few of our colleagues have noticed that you take one hour and 20 minute lunch breaks, whereas you're only supposed to take an hour. That would be handled internally and it would be very obvious. Whereas if everyone's working remote, you have no way to measure that type of thing. So it just becomes a lot more difficult for them, I would say. And so I understand that you mentioned earlier, you're a practice leader and senior headhunter specializing in hiring mid to senior professionals in commercial roles. Uh, which also includes a C-level management, correct? Right. So how has the shift of remote work impacted the job market for executives? And what changes have you seen in a way companies are searching for and hiring um, top talent or maybe more senior roles talent? I mean, honestly, that's a very difficult question to answer. And I don't think that you would like my answer, to be honest, because I know that your company promotes remote working. So honestly, from my experience, there hasn't been a lot of changes. The The reality is that a lot of companies uh, are opposed to changing to completely remote. And especially for senior executives, the senior executives that I deal with, are still used to office environments. And a lot of the business owners that I know, they're okay with a hybrid working model, but they're not particularly happy with full remote. I only know a couple of companies that are happy with full remote and managing those teams, especially global teams can be very, very challenging. Cool. And a lot of them would argue that productivity has gone down. So mm. I think in terms of hiring executives, I haven't noticed too much of a change other than 
other than people enjoy a hybrid working model. They don't want to be in an office 24-7. They would prefer to have an option of a little bit in, a little bit out, or a little bit more flexibility. I would okay. say that that's the main thing. I think flexibility has been forced upon employers, and, and that has then impacted. But in terms of the hiring market and how they find jobs and how they adapt, I haven't noticed a huge amount of change, to be honest with you. That's that's a very interesting insight, um, which also related to the next point that I would like to brought up um, with you. Um, Actually, when I was graduated around 2019, I heard an interesting fact that um, in 2022, it's uh, predicted that the 50% of the workforce will be dominated by the Gen Z. Wow. And although all the 50% of them are Gen Zs, we still believe that leadership positions and uh, other senior positions are still dominated by the elder generation, such as millennials right. and which also they are the decision maker for the organizations. So I think we have a gap here where um, if you hear it a lot on social media, Gen Z's are promoting, like you mentioned, flexibility, remote working and demanding all those things. Whereas um, a more elder or senior members within the company uh, would like things to go as how it was before um, on site in the office nine to five. So how do you see this play out in real life and what advice yeah. do you for executive as they adapt to this new trend of work? I mean, it's a huge question, absolutely, because the, the generational differences and how they approach work is absolutely massive. And there is a clash in almost every company I can think of. I actually don't think the gap between Gen Z and millennial is that big from personal experience. I mean, I have a lot of candidates that are all different ages. And I don't think, I think that the millennials, we grew up with the internet as well. I say we, cause I'm a millennial. We grew up with the internet as well. And I think that we're much, so we didn't grow up in an environment where shouting at employees was acceptable. We're much more sensitive, I think emotionally sensitive and much more aware of how our subordinates are feeling and treated. And we don't just manage we don't just manage their professional life. We also try and account for emotional and, um, you know, emotional stability as well. So I think that the Gen Z millennial gap is not huge, although the gap above that definitely is because that generation grew up with very hard work and high discipline and, uh, were used to being d shouted at in the office, these types of things that, the younger generations really don't like. Um, I mean, I, I listen to Simon Sinek quite a lot. He's an influencer that talks about generational difference, especially with regards millennials. And he gives a lot of really good advice about how to deal with the new workforce. I think that, I think that change needs to come from both sides because I've often struggled with Gen Z with regards their professionalism. I find Gen Z to be unreliable and, and, and flaky. So flaky and unreliable, I find really challenging because the, there's a level of professionalism with C-level people that you don't find in Gen Z usually. So I think there needs to be compromise on both sides because if if the leadership are unable to adapt, then basically what happens is all of their young employees quit, which is a disaster for most companies. 
So you right. have to find ways to entice and keep these people, keep them motivated. But at the same time, the younger generations of workers need to realize that work is not this fantasy dream life where, you know, you will meet every goal and you'll be happy and you'll be changing the world and getting paid and promotions. It's like, that's not really the reality of working for a company. Most companies want you to work hard and do difficult things to earn your salary. And so I think there needs to be some kind of compromise there in the middle. Yeah, so, well, my next question probably is quite the contrary to the previous question that I have asked. Um, So I was wondering, um, in order to sort of like meet in the middle between like the the leadership teams and also the majority of the workforce, did you see an increase of demand in a remote talents or remote position after COVID or maybe during during and after COVID? Um, I mean, from the client's point of view, no. <laughs> but But from a candidate's point of view, yes. So the amount of, of talent that want remote-based positions has gone up exponentially. And I mean that. So if you look at software engineers, and I don't really deal with software engineers, but if you look at the software engineering marketplace, a lot of them only want remote-based positions. And I get asked for remote jobs all the time. And especially with with the younger generation, they think that it's possible to let's say live in Taiwan where we live but have a have a remote based job working for a European or American company which is possible but very very difficult to find I don't know where you would find those types of jobs although they do exist let's be let's be fair the one thing that I noticed as a headhunter that I think you might find quite interesting is that during covid what was happening is a lot a lot of let's say Taiwanese candidates who were based in Shanghai office were being allowed to work from Taiwan for months and months and months. So these candidates were living in Taiwan for a year and being paid a China salary, but being based technically in the Shanghai office. And I don't think that there was much of a problem with that. So, you know, all of these lessons are are kind of affecting the market in ways that we can't really predict, right? It's who knows what the knock-on effects will be? Yeah, it is interesting though. I I, th- I find it fascinating watching how the market changes and that type of thing. So, um, when you do have a remote position open, um, I was wondering what are the criteria and qualification from a headhunting a headhunter point of view that a talent must possess to fit into the remote position. Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, obviously, the most important factor when you're hiring somebody is the job description and the specific skills and experience that you're looking for. So, for example, there wouldn't necessarily be somebody who would be... Okay, what I'm trying to say is that the the most important thing is the skill set and the CV fit, right? But then if you want to assess, as a manager, if you want to assess somebody's ability to work remotely properly you would have to look at things like self-motivation and conscientiousness. And I mean conscientiousness from a big five personality psychology point of view, because people who are able to work uh, on their own, people who are able to work on their own and and motivate themselves and give themselves a schedule and 
and and work without being forced to are the kind of people that you want to hire, right? So people who are organized and self-motivated. I also feel, I mean, my personality is very extrovert. So I actually don't like only working remotely. I prefer when I when I am able to socialize in an office. So I would also suggest that people who are heavily introvert, who don't really enjoy working with other people, they prefer working solo or spending time alone. Those types of people I would probably think would do a better job working remotely because they enjoy it. So people like myself, heavily extrovert people, I think would go a little bit crazy and the the impact on their work would suffer. Circling back to your role as a headhunter for mid to senior level um, roles, um, I was wondering um, if there is any also other key criteria and qualification that talent must possess to ensure that they are able to communicate or collaborate effectively with the global team, um, regardless if it's a remote positions or not. And I think mid senior, mid to senior level positions are um, requiring this um, kind of skill or it's quite essential for them. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of my best friends is a girl called Christine Orchard and she's an expert on, on remote positions and remote hiring and she gives talks and writes articles about managing remote teams um so i've heard her talk about it quite a lot and i think the advice that she gives most of the time is to do with um, finding a way to connect one-on-one with different team members to make sure that you're checking in regularly and also uh, being creative with team building because if you only talk to your team members in meetings where you're talking about business or strategy, then you are missing all the water cooler talks that you would have in a normal office. So in a normal office setting, you also you have the business meetings, which are serious, and then you have the the small talk that you have in the morning or you have lunches together. And if you're just managing remote teams and you cut all of that small talk, you know, bonding type chat out then then i think you're going to suffer as a result your team won't be as strong so what you have to do as the manager of a global team is to ensure that you have team building exercises i mean i know christine plays kind of online games or comes up with funny kind of trivia type stuff that she does with her team so that helps the team bonds, not just professionally, but also get to know each other a bit better and hopefully like each other more as well, because you work harder when you like your colleagues, right? Yeah, and more comfortable as well. Yeah. And, and so my, my next question, back in the day, I once talked with a senior uh, manager for a sustainable energy company that are not yet sort of established in Taiwan but they're already working in so many online and offline presence. So their marketing team, PR and sales are already established, but the majority of the teams are not there yet. And the company itself is not even registered. So I was wondering, uh, as a headhunting specializing in these commercial roles, um, are these positions are typically uh, to be the first to sought after when a multinational company enters a new market? It depends on the business. I mean, 
it depends how how important engineers are to the company because a lot of tech companies will come into Taiwan because of the engineering talent. So in that case, what they would do is they would hire a country manager. Country manager has to come first because if you don't hire from the top first, you're you're making things really difficult for yourself. So country manager first, either local hire or somebody that's sent over, and then then sales and HRs are usually quite common. If you have an HR, you have somebody who, like you said, to do the business registration and to help with the hiring and to organize the office space and the compensation and benefits and stuff like that. And then okay. sales, of course, is so important. If you're going to enter a new market and you don't have salespeople, then you're generating no revenue. You're just a you're just a, a, a cost, right? So I think it depends on the business. I mean, it is possible to hire only engineers here and have no no one else if that's what if that's what the company is looking for. But in in a holistic sense, okay. you need a bit of everything. You need the sales and marketing. You need an HR. You need a finance person, and you need somebody to be in charge of the office. But the person in charge of the office can come from any function. They could be an engineer background, or a sales background, or an HR background, or supply chain, and or legal. It really doesn't matter what their background is, as long as they have reached okay. that level. And they're able to manage the team because at that point they've become more like a manager than all than anything else. Perfect. Yeah. And speaking of um, entering new market and also maybe cultural differences, um, I came across actually to one of your articles that discussing about the thirteenth yeah. month salary, and so and the first thing that um, that I can think of is that how how could you know like you get paid for the month that didn't exist like how how this this whole thing works so i was wondering uh, i think that um more of an asian market thing and uh-huh. i'm sure now with this whole like globalization uh, stuff and all of that and many international companies coming in um how do you explain that concept to the western market and yeah well do you know i think the mistake that you're thinking is in your brain you think the salary is 1 million and that's divided by 12 months and if it's a 13 month then it's 1 million plus that 13th month so it's 1.1 million let's say but actually what it is is just a million divided by 13 rather than a million divided by 12 so this the the total salary is the same you're just getting paid in an extra month i mean I would always encourage foreign businesses entering a local market to to follow the local market trends. It really, if you have a client who only wants to pay 12 months and doesn't want to pay a bonus, they're making things really difficult for themselves. People do not like it. They don't like it at all. I have a Swedish client. And when I first met them, they were only paying 12 months salary. They weren't paying any 13th month or bonus. And I spoke to the head of that company and he said we had to change it. They didn't like us doing that. We we were forced to change it, even though we didn't want to. Because Swedish style is 12 months. But eventually they adapted. And I also know a South Korean client that I met with. And the, the head of the business in Taiwan, he's South Korean. And he was saying, it's really difficult for us to hire. I don't know all, all the headhunters that we've worked with are kind of useless and he was saying oh we're not finding what we want 
And then I spoke to the HR from the company and she told me they just pay 12 months and then a tiny little bonus and the salaries they were paying were really low. So, you know, that's their fault. Yeah, they were well, blaming headhunters and the market and Taiwan doesn't have the talent. Um, but actually, I think it was the South um, Korean company refusing to adapt working to and flexible working Taiwanese is just so overused that And so they, like it's, it was their fault. That would what be they should have been the doing is paying for 13 months salary plus a you know, bonus. Like, like a variable bonus now, is usually a month, two the, months, like three months. The reality is so in Taiwan, you should be paying about 15 months salary total. Regulations. If you want to follow with the market practice or maybe competitive yeah to be competitive if you don't do that you're standing out in a bad way candidates don't yeah. like it you know that's that's yeah. actually very interesting because actually the average like the average salary it's going to be pretty much the same right like for the company who are paying for 12 months and 13 months they're just spreading it out throughout the years yeah 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 although when you're talking about variable bonus variable bonus is often based on your performance so for people who are motivated by money and people who like to work hard they can really work hard to get that extra money so especially if you're talking about salespeople, they can really drive themselves to, to make a lot of money for the company so they get a little slice of it. It's not true in every it's not true in every industry, but I think that the variable bonus thing works as a motivator personally. I think so. I mean it would it works for me certainly. I mean if you want my honest opinion, money is more important than anything else. And and I'm so the reason I'm saying that is because I meet with so many candidates and they will tell me lots of things that they want. And they often say that money is not the big driver. And then when you come to negotiate salary, money all of a sudden becomes more important than everything else. So from personal, from personal experience, money is the most important part of, of work in terms of, in terms of how, how it affects you know, whether people take deals and offers and whether people stay or whether people are happy. Money's number one. It's a very interesting takeaway. And so, Alan, thank you so much for sharing with us uh, and your expertise and experience in the headhunting um, industry in greater China region. Uh, maybe I have one last question before we close this um, podcast. Uh, do you have any suggestion that you would like to offer to other companies uh, planning to expand into a foreign market through hire hiring a local talent? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I have lots of advice. If anyone wants to pay me for that advice, feel free to contact <laughs> me. Yeah, I think, listen, you, if you want to expand successfully into a local market, understanding the local nuances of that market is so important. If you go in blind, then you're probably going to fail. So if you don't do your market research, then, you know, it's against you. I, I know <laughs> I've dealt with a few companies from Singapore, usually startups, and they'll come into Taiwan and they haven't done any market research and they're incredibly confident that they're going to be successful. So basically, it's just blind arrogance. They think, oh, if there's a problem, we'll solve it because we're smart. And I think well, that that's a really naive way to enter a foreign market. I think if you want to be successful in a foreign market, you have to do your homework, hire somebody good from that market. So here's another mistake that I see companies make. 
they will expand into Taiwan and they'll hire somebody like an ABC who speaks really good English because okay. they think they can speak to that ABC and there's no communication gap. But actually, you probably want somebody who's more in the middle, somebody who is very good at running Taiwanese teams. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, do your homework. You have to know what, what the market levels are like and what candidates are expecting and what they value. And also think about what your niche is in that market. I mean, if you... If you have something that the market doesn't have, then obviously that's a good thing. But then how do you sell and market it? How do you take candidates out of your competitors and, and hire them yourself? What does it take to do that? Is it money or is it flexibility with regards to remote working or is it company culture? And there's a bigger question. I mean, how do you, how do you instill a company culture? That's a, a really big topic and not something that... I think a lot of people really understand or mm -hmm. are able to to force upon a group of people. So yeah, there's yeah. there's lots of nuances. A lot of the questions that you've been asking me, they they they're not simple questions. I mean, they're difficult things to answer. These are not yes no type questions. There's a lot of nuance there, Before. and all I'm doing is kind of giving a my opinion from speaking to lots and lots of different people but of course i'm sure there's lots of people that would argue my points as well which is totally fine i quite quite enjoy that to be honest <laughs> but yeah i hope that was helpful yeah it was it was a very insightful sharing from you as well um i said that it was the last question but you brought up such an interesting topic so i hope you don't mind me asking the very last questions sure of like how <laughs> how maybe share a little bit about you mentioned a company culture and i've been working um uh, with some taiwanese teams as well and i as a foreigner myself in taiwan i do feel um the cultural differences um are pretty prominent so i would like if you don't mind sharing um uh, your takeaway on um the company's culture here yeah. in taiwan Uh, generally and what businesses overseas miss to prepare when they're entering Taiwan or hiring Taiwan talents? Yeah, there's a lot of things to note. I mean, specifically with regards communication, less direct. Uh, they don't tend to argue in an office. They have a, a lot of Taiwanese companies in the meetings, the senior people speak, but everyone else doesn't really. It's not a it's not an open culture where you discuss strategy and debate and argue in the office. You've got to be very careful with how you communicate. With it, um, I think it's it's a very very friendly culture in Taiwan, um, and the especially the younger companies they they tend to be a bit more open and flexible and. A bit more westernized although of course there's a massive mix okay. i write articles about uh, taiwan working culture types of topics mm -hmm. so if anyone is interested in in hearing my my longer opinions i mean i've written a few ten thousand word articles on on this exact topic so i, I write i wrote an article called how to have a long and successful career as a foreigner in taiwan And I gave nice. 15 different suggestions. One of those suggestions, of course, is an obvious one, is improving your Mandarin. Because exactly. if you 
Yeah, if you can speak Chinese and understand Chinese, it definitely helps. It definitely helps. I mean, culture shock is a, is a normal thing. So if you are a foreigner and want to adapt to a foreign market, it doesn't matter where it is, learning the language and learning the different cultural nuances is very, very important to, to fitting in. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll be sure to attach some of the articles that you've written uh, okay. on around the topic to our uh, podcast description for our listener if they would like to dive more into your thoughts on this. Um, all right, um, Alan, thank you so much again for your time. It's our pleasure to have you here and share your thoughts on the whole landscape of um, talent and also job market in the greater China region. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Agnes. And that wraps up this episode brought to you by Borderless Workplace, sponsored by Slassify, a global payroll provider and employer of record that helps businesses take care of their employment compliance needs anywhere on earth. Catch all of our podcast episodes by subscribing on Spotify Podcast and our YouTube channel.